Tonight, if you turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation, the fifth trumpet, and as we continue our journey through these times of difficulty, again, draw your attention that God has a plan and purpose in all things. And before we dig into tonight's study, how many of you in, in here believe that there is a world outside of the world that we see called the spirit realm? Raise your hands. That's almost everybody in here. Keep that in mind as we dig into tonight's study. So very often when we look at the scriptures, we have a tendency to try and put everything into modern day context. And we try and see everything through the lens uh, of our own experience, our own knowledge, our own understanding of our world. And we're digging in now to many things in the book of Revelation that don't have a direct correlation to the world that is the world that we see. And that's certainly true of tonight's passage. So very often, for those of you that have had that experience, or maybe you've read, you know, you go online and you want to find out what's going on in the world, some of these lawsuits that are floating around, very often you'll find them uh, labeled things like Smith versus Wisconsin or, you know, Jones versus the people. And it does cause us at times to think, you know, what kind of crime could someone have committed that the entire state of California might be against them, or worse yet, the nation. And in this case, as we we dig into these passages where God is going to judge the world, you have to remember that this is humankind, this is mankind, this is man's sinfulness against God. This is God saying, look, I'm the just, the righteous, the holy God, And you refuse to change. So it is with our judicial system, our legal system in our world today. You know, we have an opportunity to either do what is right and keep law, or we can go against the law and we suffer the consequences of it. Mankind has been doing that to God now for thousands of years. We've said, we don't want it your way. We're going to do it our way. We're going to go against your law. God's God's laws are just as immutable uh, in in one sense or even more so than our Constitution and the laws that flow forth from it in our country. And so when God says, thus says the Lord, from his perspective, that settles it, that ends it, that is his opinion, that is what he wants us to do, that's how he wants us to act, that's what he expects of us. Now, praise God that by his grace and through his mercy, he's allowed us to make all kinds of decisions, even to the contrary, if we so choose. And yet, as we dig into chapter 9, we find that these tremendous judgments get worse and worse and worse, and they are nothing more than the penalty of God judging the earth for what it has done to the nation Israel, what is done with his land, how the world has responded to the Jewish people, and very specifically what sin has done to the world. And so in that vein, we find that God's word is true. If you turn, uh, if you so choose, to Galatians chapter 6, and I just want to look at this with you, verse 7. You see, one of God's immutable laws One of those things that's absolutely true, mankind doesn't like it, is that God has the final word, he is the final authority, and he will not be mocked in his role as the final arbiter of all things. One day, every last person will stand before the judge of this universe. And for those of us who love him, we'll give an account for those things which have been done in the body, whether good or bad. But there will become another judgment that will happen uh, after the world has spent a time in, in that millennial reign where the Lord is going to judge with finiteness everyone. Those who are waiting right now that final judgment, that, that great white throne judgment. But God will be absolutely perfect in his judgment and his justice. And so the way that we now can view this is that right now, today, we have the choice to choose between that which is good and godly and that which is satanic and that which is evil. Notice what it says, verse 7, 
here in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. For God is not mocked. And when you think of that passage, it's as if when we mock someone, we have this new rule in the NFL, there's no taunting, right? You know, if you watch football, now you can't spike the ball, you can't stand over somebody that you've just knocked the ball out of their hands and go, yeah, I told you. You, you, can't, you can't do that anymore. Why? Because you're mocking that person. It's considered an insult. And if you're in the NFL and you continue to do that, they not only throw the flag, but you also have to pay a fine. Now imagine in an eternal sense, God is not mocked. In other words, he's not going to be belittled. He will not forever take mankind's rebelliousness, our foolishness, our inequity, our injustice. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that is the law. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption. You see, there's the law. Whatever you sow, whatever kind of seed you sow, you will reap from that seed. And so if you sow to the flesh, and of course in an eternal sense, if you never make that turn away from your sin and towards the Savior, if you will not pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus, then you have by default pledged allegiance to Satan and his minions, this world, its system. You've made a choice by not making a choice. Because you were born into Adam's family. And not the ones with Morticia and, you know, those guys. You were born into Adam's lineage. So the choice, in essence, you've already made. There is a second birth required, a new family you need to acquire, be a part of. Are you sows to his flesh, will reap of that flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so God is now making good on exactly this law. He says, mankind, I've given you thousands of years in which you can make the choice even to disobey me, disregard me, even mock me, but do not be deceived. I am actually not mocked. It's you that will reap what you have sown. The sowing has started even now in our world. The reaping will come in this world. There are people that will absolutely, I believe, time is short, that these things are about to unfold. In a personal, in an individual, in a global sense even. God has done everything he possibly can to keep mankind from this day. Now granted, the time still continues for the age of grace. And so tonight, as we're here, there's opportunity for anyone who desires to escape all of this crazy insanity of destruction. All you need to do is give your life to Jesus. That's it. And he'll give you the power to transform, to change, renew your mind, cause you to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He'll do those things for you. Maybe imperfect, but you'll be a child of grace. And you can begin to sow to the spirit and therefore reap in the spirit righteousness. That choice is available to all mankind. So both as individuals and as the world Many people continue to ignore the call of grace. And in our passage tonight, just when you think it can't get any worse, it it appears to get exactly that worse. And yet as God ratchets up the intensity of these attacks, remember that his purpose is still grace. His purpose is still love. 
You must never lose that when you read the book of Revelation. Too many people look at it in this apocalyptic mindset and they just think, well, God's just, it's almost like God's throwing a temper tantrum. And he's not. This passage and those that follow it should give you a very, very deep understanding of exactly how far mankind is going to go. We haven't gotten there yet, praise God. But I can tell you, we're heading there, and we're heading there quickly. Five more people died in Jerusalem today. One of the accomplices of the suicide bombers in France, cornered in an apartment building, a woman detonates a suicide vest and blows herself to bits. The world is a mess, with a capital M. We now have four different militaries conducting air operations over Syria. And all four of them are not necessarily in agreement. That makes for a dangerous airspace. The world is a dangerous place. But it's going to get more so. You see, God takes sin very, very seriously, but he takes grace more seriously. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. And you'd be really thankful for that. He takes sin seriously, but he takes his grace and his love far more seriously than he takes your sin. Because if he took your sin more seriously than his grace, he'd just wipe you out. You'd have never had a chance to come to Jesus. He'd have looked at you and there'd have been a master list. Ooh, that's a loser. (laughs) I wouldn't even have been born probably. He would have just like, not him. God hates sin, and he especially hates the sin of believers. One of the most fought over passages of scripture you'll find in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, For it's impossible for those who are once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. That, to me, describes fairly effectively someone who's in Christ. Amen? You can't partake of the Holy Spirit unless you're saved, you know the Lord Jesus, and have tasted of the good word of God. The powers of the age to come, for if they fall away, to renew them again under repentance. And here's why. You don't think sin is serious business in the life of believers? For they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Imagine what God thinks when we who have tasted of the good gift that we have been given in Christ Jesus, when we openly shame the sinless Lamb of God who died for our sins. Sin is serious business for believers as well as non-believers. That's why it's so important that we live holy lives, family. And when I say that, of, of course, perfection is a long way off in all of our lives. But we should be trying to be perfect. We should do our very best to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can. And so now imagine that there's no more people like us. As weak, as messed up, as as imperfect as the church is. Think about it for a second. This is going to shock you. We're as good as there is on this earth as far as being godly. We're mankind saved by grace and through faith. That's all there is. They're sinners saved by grace. There's no perfect people on the face of the earth. Everyone who names the name of Jesus, they may be a little further along the line of sanctification, but we all are children of grace. Now imagine, none of us are left. Can you imagine where the world would be if there were no believers to temper by the Holy Spirit's work in us the evil that's going on in our world? It's crazy. That's why that question back in chapter 6, verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand? That's why. So the good news tonight, this time's not here yet. There's time for us to make sure that everyone has the message. The trumpet begins to blow Notice in the fifth angel sounded, verse 1, here in chapter 9 of the book of Revelation. 
And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. From heaven to earth. You've seen that picture before. You know it well. You know who this is. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. You know where he will spend all eternity one day. And he, that's a person by the way, opened the bottomless pit. Smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. When I was still in business, the Kaiser Steel Mill was still in operation out in Fontana. Got an opportunity, we were having some parts made, some special steel roll. Got an opportunity to go out there and see a blast furnace in operation. Oh my goodness. They opened that thing up and it was as if you were staring into the bowels of hell. And smoke poured out and heat like you can't imagine. Now multiply times infinity. I, I don't know what it'll be like, but I know it won't be good. The guys that were closest to us, fully in, they were wearing 10-layer asbestos suits, shields over their faces so that the splatter from the furnace wouldn't, wouldn't harm them. Metal shoes. And it says there, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke out of the pit. And then the smoke of locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree. But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so it begins this picture of a demonic Locust horde right out of the pit of hell. Flying over. I used to, when I, many years ago when I first saw this, there was that movement within Christendom to try and put uh, every single verse of Revelation into some modern context of war. And as I've studied and, and looked back on that time, there, there is no explanation about this part of Scripture save this is supernatural. This is not a bunch of helicopters with weird armor plates. I believe this is a demonic horde that looks like locusts. And they've come straight out of the pit of hell. I think it's a mistake, in fact, to try and make this into a modern context. Notice the fallen star. We understand this is not space debris. This isn't a chunk of an asteroid. This is a person. He actually is called a he. Amen? Look at this. And I saw a star. We've seen the star before. We've seen the stars. They were the angels of heaven. And so I want to run through this with you. A star fallen from heaven to earth and to him. Notice that word. Two words there. It's a star, and it's a hymn, and he has fallen. In other words, it's past tense. We know who this star is. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, which translates star of the morning or day star. Son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? It's exactly what Satan is doing even tonight. Weakening the nations. For you've said in your heart, heart, I will ascend unto the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, above the angels of God. And I will sit on the mount of the congregation, the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, for I will be like the most high God. So we know who this fallen star is. He's the commander. When Lucifer was filled with pride, he rebelled against God. In Ezekiel 28, we get a little glimpse of exactly who he is. Pictured there, a typology there, the prince of Tyre. We understand that this Lucifer was also the anointed cherub. He was the worship leader, in essence, of heaven. His timbrels, his harps listed there, his musical instruments. He was beautiful. He was perfect in all of the creation of the the emissaries of heaven, of the angels. Ezekiel 28, verse 14 and 15, give you that picture. 
But he didn't stay in that estate. He chose what he would do and who he would follow. He, the first self-deceived one that we have recorded in all of Scripture, believing that he himself would become like the Most High God. Jesus speaking of that same event in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, And I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So we know who this fallen one is. This he who's the commander of this army of demonic locust. Lucifer, Satan, satanic army uh, behind him. And remember this has now been locked up and it's going to be unlocked. And so the pit that's been locked for thousands of years You need to understand something. Hell was not created for people. God has never planned, never planned, did not plan, did not make hell for mankind. He made it for Satan. And his minions, the third of the angels that fell with him, he controls access to it. He knows where it is. And it's described for us as a bottomless pit. And even in that, we see that even Satan is subject to God's rule. He does not have that key. He cannot have that key. And he will not have that key until God says, Okay, you have some time. Here's the key. Go do your worst. Verse 2, And he opened the bottomless pit, and that smoke arose out of it. The pit's opened and the smoke is pouring out. You can imagine the stench of the foulness of thousands of years of locked up sin. You think your trash can smells bad on Thursdays in our neighborhood. Imagine the bowels of hell, the stench of death. That which was never, ever intended to affect your life. See, God didn't create us to sin. He created us for glory. He made us, in fact, in his image. In the likeness of God were we created. That's why it's so unnatural for really any of us to take up a life of sin. Because God never intended for us to do so. He didn't make us for sin. He made us for righteousness. And so as mankind sins, mankind rots. The wages of sin is death. Amen? And so imagine beings that have chosen to live their life in death. What that looks like. What that smells like. What that would be like. That bottomless pit... More than likely, in order for it to be bottomless, I I think the easiest way to understand that is it would, by necessity, need to be in the general vicinity of the center of the earth. It's always up from there, amen? Makes it bottomless. But that shaft that leads to it is locked. Satan's finally given the key. Luke chapter 8 Verse 31, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man from Gardenes. The demons have an exchange with Jesus, and they say to him, they beg him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Same exact word. Don't send us there. They knew all about it. They know where it is. I believe they actually know that their end result is going to be there. And hence they say, please, don't send us there. Even the demons don't want to be in hell. So when people say to you, well, you know, I don't really care about that heaven stuff, you know, I'm just going to go visit my friends in hell. They haven't got a clue. Because if they had any idea what hell is like, they wouldn't want their worst enemy to go there. The abyss, that place of incarceration. I want you to notice something, that it's not the place of incarceration for all demons. Demons, just like angels, have order. They have rank. There are some that are more powerful than others. 
the chief, their leader, Satan himself, is actually a fallen angel, and he's a cherub, so he is of the highest rank of all the angels with Michael and Gabriel. So he is a created being. He's extremely powerful, but he is not all-powerful, and he is no match for our Savior. Amen? It's not his equal. He is a defeated foe, and one day he'll be placed where he belongs. The book of Jude in verse 6, verse 7, book of Jude says this, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved for them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day, just as in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. We know that the sin of Sodom, the sin of Gomorrah, was that of homosexuality. It was the going after of that which was not natural. Men for men, women for women. The angels had the same issue, but in a slightly different manner. Because they are heavenly beings and we are earthly beings. So between us and them is the same likeness. We are strange to them. And they are strange to us. And they are therefore afterwards set as an example, it says in verse 7, suffering with the vengeance of eternal fire. And so they have been locked away. These are the fallen angels, the demonic hordes that we find the story of in the book of Genesis. And as we see this story unfold, it was strange. It's the Greek word heteros. It means to be of the same yet a different kind. We are male and female. Strange to male and female would be man with a man and a woman with a woman. In this case, angelic and earthly. The story you can see, Peter actually begins to unfold it for us in Second Peter chapter 2, and it says there in verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, the Greek word there, tartus, bottomless pit or abyss, And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved. Notice this, he put them in chains of darkness, but he's still reserving them for judgment. That's because they have not yet been finally judged, but they will be. They're chained up, they're locked up. Satan is now going to get the key to this group of demonic hosts. You think there's demonic stuff going on in our world. For a a 23-year-old woman to strap a bomb vest to herself and blow herself up rather than be arrested, that's demonic. That's from the pit of hell. That's not just someone whose mind isn't quite right. Though I'm sure that is also true. I believe her mind is not right because she was influenced by demonic hordes. You see, God has done this because angels cohabitated with women, Genesis 6. And it says there in verses 1 through 4, And now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and the phrase used there, bar Elohim, not Elohim, bar Elohim, meaning God's children, Angels saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. They took wives for themselves of all those whom they chose. And there were at that time giants in the land, Nephilim, which means fallen ones. They were on the earth in those days. And afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children unto them. There is the strange flesh. Angels and human beings. Those were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So those Nephilim, those giants that were in the land, when Joshua and Caleb came to the land, they looked at the mountain, they said, look, there's giants down there. They were the offspring of demons. You see, the Lord is going to even make this right. He'll take care of this problem as well. 
Peter, Jude are pointing the same place that these angels, these demonic hosts are locked up right now. They were the evil of evil. And if they were allowed, released on this earth, God only knows how bad the world would be right now if they were still roaming around. God has even measured out evil to give mankind an opportunity to be saved. Satan is currently not incarcerated, but he will be. He's going to be thrown in there and then finally released one last time at the end of that thousand years. He's going to get one more go at the man, man that have been born on this earth during the tribulation that translated directly over, lived right on through it, born during the millennial reign of Christ, and so those people will still have free will but there'll be a forced rule of righteousness. They will not be allowed to sin, but they'll still have some sin nature. And so at that time, those people finally will have to make that absolute choice. I'm following God, or I'm going to choose to go where the demons and the hellish angels have gone. We see that in Revelation 20 when we get there. And I saw the angel coming from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. We'll get there. Amen? going to happen one day. But in the meantime, that pit has been opened. Here they come. Now he says, be careful whom you harm. And I want you to notice something. They were commanded, it says in verse 4, not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, those who were sealed, those who were protected, the 144,000, anyone who named the name of the Lord is now protected by God, and this demonic horde has no power over them. And this demonic horde has no power over you as children of God either. They never have and never will. They can push, they can prod, they can poke, but they cannot take. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. No one. I want you to notice something. These These are locusts that do something that locusts don't do. They harm humans. That does not sound like any kind of normal locust to me. Verse 5, it says here in Revelation 9, and they were given authority to kill them. Not given authority to kill them, excuse me. In other words, they weren't allowed to bring death. Just torment. God only allows the forces of darkness to go so far. There is no temptation, but that which is common to man, and in it there's a way of escape. God reserves final justice and final judgment over all of his creation. As bad as it gets, as horrible as it is, as crazy as things have been, and as worse as they will be. Much worse, infinitely worse as they will get. God will still be in control. He'll still have the final word. They weren't given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like that of a torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. I've never been struck by a scorpion, but I have had some crazy experiences. And in those days, men will seek death and they will not find it. They'll desire to die and death will flee from them. People will actually not be able to die for five months. I had an interesting opportunity when we were up fishing in the high sierras convict lake i found a nice wonderful dead hollow log to lean against while i was casting trying to shield myself from those wary trout in the stream and in making a cast i kind of slipped on a little piece of bark and i bumped my head against that hollowed out log only to find out that inside of it was a hornet's nest I was stung probably 30, 40 times before I even knew what happened. Within a couple of minutes, it felt like someone had stuffed my head in a vice and was slowly trying to relieve me of my cranial matter. I mean, it was like, it was awful. 
Those are just hornets. I can't even imagine what a demonic locust sting would be like that would make men want to die and yet they not be able to die for five months. We only had a five-hour five hour drive home and I wanted to die for five hours. That was long enough. Now imagine that the torment just goes on and on and on and on and on. But you can't even die. Very unnatural. Nothing like it on our earth. And anything that could cause that kind of pain actually would kill you today. So again, I believe this is supernatural. Something that we cannot explain. It's not you know, some kind of new weapon that the Israelis have built. Israelis are very ingenious. They have some of the world's smallest hovercraft. They actually have some little tiny, about the size of a bumblebee, little hovercraft, little camera on them. They can fly them around, put them in windows. But they don't have the sting of a scorpion and they can't make you in pain for five months. I guarantee you that. Verse 7, notice it says what these locusts are like. It doesn't say they are like, not are, like. And the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like a woman's hair. I do not want to see a hairy locust (laughs) with teeth. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. And their sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running to battle. And they had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt Men for five months. So they're like a lot of things. But they are not those things. They are simply like them. Remember John is explaining things. That word like is used here. Depending on your version of Bible that you have. Some, it's either seven or eight times in that passage. But John's making a comparison He has no point of reference. Many of the things that he saw, that's why he's using stars and candlesticks and all these amazing visions that he's been given. There would be nothing for him to compare them to, not now or then. It wouldn't have mattered when you would have seen this vision. It wouldn't make any sense today in a human. We would still be saying, well, it it looks like. And maybe today we would have said something slightly different, but we wouldn't be saying, well, it was one. Because it's not one of anything. It's something new. It came from the bowels of hell. And it's spreading out all over the earth. They just keep coming and coming and coming. The skies are darkened. The swarm is overhead. The noise that they make is deafening. And I can easily imagine. You know, the the stuff that comes out of the movie industry today in the realm of horror films is i don't even i, I don't even like seeing the television commercials which are edited for primetime tv freaks me out but that'll be nothing compared to what comes out of the bowels of hell you think you've seen scary stuff i remember I'm not proud of this but you know back in the day high school you remember the exorcist I saw that I, I was scared of girls for months. <laughs> Which was actually a good thing in high school. Now imagine that it's actually demonically inspired. Can you imagine the fear of the sound and the smell? And the sting and having so much pain that you want to die for five months. Can't even imagine. Notice something that's very strange 
and this is a uniqueness, and it's a difference between normal locusts and this horde, that these locusts have a king. Verse 11, you're in Revelation 9, and they had a king over them, and it tells us who. The angel of the bottomless pit. Satan is a fallen angel. First one in, last one out. Whose name in Hebrew, if you got it the first, didn't get it the first time, get it now. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, his name is Apollyon. Destruction, destroyer. We know who he is. There's a king of these locusts, a, a leader whom they will serve. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 27, a unique history of the locusts on this earth because it's true, locusts do not have a king. They follow no one or no thing in the natural world. Solomon knew that when he penned this proverb, locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. They seem to have a king. In this case, they're actually going to have a king. So we know they're not real locusts. They're not regular members of the natural world. Who is this king who causes this kind of destruction? Uh, We know his name in every language means the same thing. It's Satan himself. Jesus in John 10.10 calls him the thief who does not come except to kill and to steal and to destroy. Jesus says that of him. He's the destroyer. He's the one who wants to ruin you, ruin us, ruin this world if he could. And so God gives us a little bit of insight. As that horde comes out of the pit of hell, Satan himself has the key. He's the one that controls them. He was their leader in the beginning. He's the one that started the rebellion. He's the reason the third fell. They followed him. And they're still following him. People often say, well, how many are? I don't know. I have no idea how many angels and demons there are in this world. But I know there's a bunch of them. And they're battling right now in this place. You you see, that just reminds us that we have a choice. We all have allegiance. We are a a slave in that sense to someone or something. We're either voluntary or... Uh, We either have a a master whose name is Jesus or we have a master whose name is Satan. It's your choice. It's always been mankind's choice. You can either follow after the the anointed cherub who fell or you can follow after the king of kings and the lord of lords. So really the choice is yours. Do you want gloom or do you want grace? Always had that choice. The tribulation is that judgment from God. As Christ rejects this world, God just saying, look, I'm giving you a choice. I'm giving you a choice. He's always done this. Joel chapter 2. It says there in verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound my alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is a picture looking forward of the time that we're now in in the book of Revelation. And it's a time yet future to us today. It was 2,500 years in the future from that time to this when Joel wrote those words. For it's at hand, a day of darkness, a day of gloominess. He even begins to give us a picture. So Joel, looking ahead to what still lies future to us tonight, sees the same thing. It's darkness, it's gloominess. Thick clouds, morning spread over the mountain, people will come. And those people were a, were a vision like no one who's ever been seen, nor will there ever be such, any, such as them after them. You see, when God finally says, enough, there's going to be things happening on this earth that we've never seen before. We didn't see the creation either. I have no problem believing that God can sort things out to cause things to pass that we cannot explain. I like to leave God God. I suggest you do the same. When we try and rationalize too much, it's a good thing to use our minds. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. It is a great thing to use your mind. God gave you that mind. 
But when you eliminate the possibility of the miraculous, you have eliminated God's character in some ways because he's a miracle-working God. And he can do things that we can't explain, do not know. He dwells outside of what we call our space-time-matter continuum. We have space, time, matter, energy. He lives outside of it, so he can do anything he wants. That's why Jesus could walk through walls and stand in the middle of the disciples and they didn't open the door for him. He doesn't need doors. If he doesn't need doors, I'm sure he can allow to come to pass something that we cannot fully understand. The book of Amos, Amos chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. There were people that were crying out for it then. They said, oh, just get it over with. You do not want the day of the Lord to come. Not with you here. You want to be gone when that happens. And that is my plan, personally. And I'm sure for most of us. It will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. I love that line. So can you imagine? You're like booking it from a lion. And all of a sudden you come face to face with a grizzly. It's like, okay, well I'm just going to get eaten. That's the day of the Lord. There'll be no escaping the judgment of God. Won't matter where you go. Because it's for the purpose of turning men to Christ. He's going to force you to stop and say, I surrender. Or I don't care. The wheat, the tear. The lion. Or as though he went to the house and leaned his hand on the wall and the serpent bit him. This picture from Amos is just like, man, there is nowhere to go, no place to hide, and everywhere I go, it's a mess. Revelation says you're going to wish that you could die for five months and not be able to die. That's pretty much what you see in the book of Amos. It's like you go from one bad thing to another bad thing to another bad thing. Joel would go on and he would even say that their appearance is like the appearance of horses like swift steeds. So he gets the same picture that John gets on the island of Patmos. Here's this horde that comes, comes forth. You can't escape it. They're going to be all over the place. It's time to call the super orcan men. It's like, call out Ghostbusters or somebody. Joel even goes on to tell us in that passage that our weapons won't even stand a chance against them. There'll be no weapon that you'll be able to use to defeat them. That's because they're spiritual. That's because they are supernatural. That's because they're not going to be of this world. They're going to be of another world. A world that we don't fully even remotely comprehend, much less fully comprehend. And so as you look back on these things historically, from Joel's prophetic standpoint, that prophecy was fulfilled in Joel's day. The land actually was besieged by a locust plague. Symbolically, the southern kingdom of Judah was carried away into captivity. And prophetically, he's speaking of this time, which is still yet future tonight. So he's saying, no matter how you look at it, if you're talking about a real locust horde, just for emphasis, God gave them one of those. If you're talking about it symbolically, they got carried away by the horde of the Babylonians. And they were in captivity for 70 years. A whole generation died out in captivity in Babylon. You ever wondered how big God's grace is? It's huge. He's still letting mankind go on and on and on. With as insane as our world is today, God still has grace for those who will ask. And verse 12, as we close, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And so as we see these destructive forces unleashed, 
Remember the purpose. Remember the plan. Remember what God has said. Remember that what we're doing tonight is testimony of God's grace. As we share these truths, there's no reason for anyone who's ever heard this message to be here when these things happen. There's no reason. You know what's going on. So even if you're one of those people, well, you're going to hold out until the rapture happens and then give your life to Jesus, I would suggest you make it real quick. When you see all of us gone, you might want to get on your knees and pray right then and there. Because what follows, not going to be good. You, you think it's crazy in our world today? You think that uh, the exploits of the absolute insanity of mankind to this point have, have been pretty horrific, and it has. It has. No question about it. Nothing. It's going to get worse. So as we look forward to, to what God's going to do, we also look forward to his grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, and it says, looking for that blessed hope, amen, and that glorious appearing, amen, of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed to purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. You know the truth, and the truth sets you free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that is hard to believe as these things are. As we read them, it's unfathomable to our limited understanding as human beings uh, what this will look like. Lord, we simply know that it's you declaring to mankind you won't be mocked. You'll no longer take any more of mankind's abuse. And that time is coming. It hasn't reached us yet. And for that, we are eternally grateful, God. We thank you that you are long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. We thank you that's an absolute truth. And so we pray tonight that if there's anyone here, as we draw this service to a close, Lord, perhaps they've been inquiring, they want to know. Lord, your word is very plain and very clear. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will confess us before your Father. And so, Lord, we pray. For those that are maybe searching tonight, they, they want to know what it means to be a Christian. It means to repent from your sin, to turn from that old way. To ask you, Jesus, to be Lord, to be the master of our lives. To do as best as we can to walk with you all of our days. And so that simple gospel message we present tonight. Pray that if there's anyone here that needs to receive it, that they would do so before they pass through the doors. For tomorrow is indeed promised to no one. We sure thank you, God, that you've saved us, that you've blessed us, that you've given us these things that we might go out and warn others. Lord, that one day our King is coming. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.